Okay, let's um, turn to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. <coughs> chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We are, I guess, the Lord has us here for a few weeks, or at least the last three. Uh, the last two and today, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but just can't seem to get away from this place here. And, of course, there are some very helpful and valuable things, and obviously things the Lord wants us to know and understand. So I'm going to give it my best, and you listen, and we'll pray that God will uh, open our minds, and, our, and not just open our minds, that's, that's good. We need to be able to see and understand God's Word, but open our hearts also that we would accept it and receive it with gladness. So let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 4, where Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now you'll see before this, Paul was speaking more as to the corporateness of the body the unity of the body, the wholeness of the body. Now, he says, individually, every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he was also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up uh, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now that is, to me is just one mouthful, that last verse. But we're going to take a look at that this morning, along with several other passage, verses here in this passage, to see if we can discern what it is the Lord is trying to tell us here and how we want to apply this here at Community Baptist Church. How we should think of ourselves 
as a body of believers and as a community of believers. Now, when he opens this uh, chapter here, we uh, last week made note that this is the turning point in the entire epistle because we said that the first three chapters were uh, more doctrinal and teaching ch uh, chapters. And beginning with chapter 4 through the end, the last three chapters are more for application. And we see that turn there right in the very first verse because he talks about the vocation, he says, wherewith ye are called. So now he turns to this and begins to make application of all these things to the actual outworking of this in the life of a Christian as well as in the life of the body or the life of the church. So he talk, and, and the other thing I want to note there in verse 1, he says that we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And to note there that our calling has to do with something that has already occurred in our life. That is, it follows upon our acceptance of Christ, the recognition of our calling that goes with that. And it, it is not, as some try to teach, that our calling has to do with something that is in eternity past that is dealing with our initial salvation. Now, it is in eternity past, but it has to do with something following salvation. It is a calling that is encompassed upon each and every believer. And we need to recognize that. It is something that we are to respond to. Even the very nature of the word calling tells us that, you know, mom calls you for supper. You know, don't be like some. Now, you didn't have to call me twice. I was there to eat. But sometimes, you know, when you're out busy playing in the yard or if you're working in the shop, men, uh, you have to be called more than once for supper. Our obligation to a call is to respond to that. And likewise it is with the Lord's call upon our lives. It's to respond to that call. Well, in recognition of that then, he moves on to talk about the kind of calling that uh, it is and how we respond with lowliness, with meekness, with long-suffering, and forbearing one another in love. That is, giving, and forbearing means giving full consideration to the other person in love. And we're to, and then he, this, these last few verses here, through verse 6, he's dealing with the unity, the oneness of the body, and the oneness that is exemplified in one Lord and one baptism and there being one body. And so this morning here, we're looking at one body. A singular body, but we're going to see something concerning the interrelatedness of that body. Now, beginning in verse 7 then, in regards to this one body that has been brought to together in one baptism and by one Lord, he says that the Lord Jesus Christ who ascended up on high, has given gifts unto men. And he says in verse 7, it is according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That word measure simply means a measure, whatever size it may be. It can refer to the height of a person or the quantity of something. Uh, it can refer to the length of one's life, the measure of one's life and how long it lasts, whatever it be, or even a portion. And we're going to see this word again two more times before we finish this uh, portion of, of this chapter here. So, according to Christ, He has given us 
in measure a gift. And he's given every one of us a gift. And that begins to tell us something right there about the necessity and the importance of every person who is a participant in the body, who is a member of the body. Because we're all valuable. We all have a part to play in the body. And of course, I'm sure you've heard the analogy given to the human body, uh, that every part of our body is important. And even Paul alludes to that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, of the necessity of the parts of the body and how they all function together. Now, some stand out more than others. Our hands, our head, because we don't typically clothe those parts of our body. But the rest of our body is covered up. Paul calls them the more unseemly parts. But yet they have a most vital function just as much as the head does. But those other parts of the body do not supersede the head or try to take its place. Each part in our body has to fit in a certain other part in order to make it function properly. You can't take the stomach and hang it out here on your wrist, you know, and expect it to function like, uh, you know, like, like it's supposed to. It doesn't belong there. I remember when I was in school, I was fairly young, I guess probably 6th or 7th grade, somewhere along in there, and one of the guys in high school uh, came to school one day, and I saw him, he had his hand inside his shirt, <laughs> and I saw him that way every day. And I learned later that he had been involved in an accident with a corn picker. And he'd gotten his hand stuck in the corn picker. And if you're familiar with corn pickers, uh, I guess you'd say it's similar to a cotton picker. But up north we have a lot of corn, so it's a corn picker. And he peeled the skin right off the palm of his hand. So in order to cover it back up, they just grew his hand onto his stomach. And it stayed there for several weeks until the uh, uh, graft had taken place and then they removed it and then he was able to have a functioning hand. It um, wasn't perfect, but it sure, sure was better than not having any skin on your hand. Well, in that instance, it worked. <laughs> you know, they put skin from his stomach onto his hand. The only problem was a couple of years later, he had a little bit of hair growing out of his palm of his hand. That wasn't where it belonged, was it? But we do some interesting things, you know, we do some interesting things in order to make life livable for people. And medical science has done a lot of good things and made things uh, available to us that we wouldn't have otherwise. But in the body of Christ, when things get out of joint, when things are not being, when somebody is operating in a position where they're not supposed to be, then the body of Christ suffers. And it is not able to accomplish what God designed it for and what he put it here for. So in giving these gifts to men, he has done so with purpose and with design. And each one of us have an ability. Each one of us have the capability to carry out our gift, whatever it may be. I struggled with that early in my life as a Christian, uh, but then I was kind of thrust into a, uh, a place of teaching. I didn't want to do it. But the pastor, he really uh, implored upon me to do so. And, I mean, it wasn't before long that I was teaching a junior church class, teaching a Sunday school class, teaching a training union class in the, in the, on Sunday evenings. 
And it wasn't long before people began to remark to me that I had the gift of teaching. And it took a little time longer than that before I recognized it for myself, that this was truly my gift. Uh, number one gift in my life is to teach. And so it behooved me then to enhance my gift, to develop it, and to work on it, to make it the kind of gift that uh, God could use to the fullest extent. And he's gifted each one of us that way. And we don't need to go over, we won't today, the list of, of gifts that God has given to us, but you're familiar with many of them, like faith and giving and hospitality and so on. And we need to identify those things. If we want to be fulfilled in our life as a Christian, it's to know what your gift is and then fulfill it and go about doing it. Um, in giving of these gifts, he tells us down here later, and we're not going to look at these ascended and descended today. That's, that's another in-depth study, so we'll pursue that at another time. But in verse 11, regarding the giving of gifts, it says, And he gave some. And this is what he gave. Apostles and prophets. Uh, and he gave some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And then it says why he gave the gifts. What was the purpose? For the perfecting of the saints. Or for the equipping of the saints. To bring saints to the place where they could fulfill their responsibility. Till they could, till they could grow into maturity or to completeness in Christ. That word equipping is used several times in, uh, or, or the, well, in King James here, the word perfecting is used several times in other passages in a most interesting way. Turn with me back to um, Matthew chapter 4 that I think is a quite interesting one, but I think it will give us also an idea of how this word can be used and what it means then when we apply it to Christians. Back in Matthew chapter 4 and verse... Uh, Verse 21. <coughs> he says there, And going on from there, or from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Now the same word we have in this passage here is the word mending. Mending their nets, or as it were, they were equipping their nets, getting them ready for the occupation of fishing, making them usable for the occupation to which they had, which was fishing. Now, in connection with that, let's look at another usage and give us a, a further and I think a more fuller idea. All the way back now to Galatians, to the book of Galatians and chapter 6. You kept your book or your finger in the book of Ephesians, then you wouldn't have too far to go. Just a couple pages over, Galatians chapter six, and let's look at verse one. He says, "There, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted." And the same word here in this verse is the word restore. Restore such a one. Equip such a one or mend such a one. 
That is, our responsibility as a Christian is to, when we have a brother or a sister who has fallen, we're to go lift them up. And we're to restore them back to the place where they should be in their walk with Christ. And we are to aid them and assist them in that. So, restoration, restoring, equipping, mending, or, as the King James here uses the word, perfecting. For the perfecting of the saints. And you've probably heard the illustration given many times uh, of a, a, a rough uh, gem, and you chisel on it, and you cut, and you grind, and you polish all the different facets until you have an acceptable gem, one that has balance and clarity and beauty to it, and, and one that would be acceptable to put on the market to sell. Well, that's in essence what God is doing to us. If we are humbly, meekly submitted to Him, willing to walk in His steps and follow Him as a disciple and suffer as He suffered, then He will perfect us continually. He'll continually work at bringing about the perfection or a whole and complete net or a fully restored believer, whatever the need may be, in order that we can properly function in the body of Christ and do that which He's called us to do. So this perfecting of the saints is what, what is its ultimate goal then? For the work of ministry. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And there we see that the ultimate outcome and goal then of growth and maturity, of being brought to a place of perfection, is edifying of the body of Christ. You see here how he's emphasizing then the wholeness. Individual parts brought together corporately that they might be a functioning whole and able to carry out the, the purpose for which God has put them here. We might even look at it as if uh, God has put Community Baptist Church at the corner of Scruggs Road and Ringgold Road for a purpose. Located in this community for a reason. And that, number one, would obviously have to do with being a minister to this community. That would be one of the things that God has put us physically in this place for. To reach out to the community about us and to minister to them on Christ's behalf. So in verse 13, how long does it take to do all this work? Well, he says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The unity of the faith. Well, that's not too hard to explain. It's a oneness, a one-mindedness or a single-mindedness regarding the faith. In essence, it would mean believing the same thing. Having a heart and soul regarding things of God and the things of the body and the things of His church. Unified. And then he says also, till we come to the full knowledge of the Son of God. Well, it says till the knowledge, but that's our word epi-knowledge, meaning a full knowledge or a complete knowledge of Christ. And unto a perfect man, a complete man, a mature man, unto the measure, and there we have that word measure the second time, 
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a pretty loaded verse with a lot in it. But I think you can see that the entire passage is pointing but to one thing, and that is that you and I be brought to the place of fullness, brought to the place of maturity, brought to the place of perfection or completeness, wholeness, to a full measure of the stature of Christ. You see, there is a fullness to Christ. There is a measure which we ought to be striving for and measuring up to. And it is something which we can't attain to. Why do we know that? Because that's what he's called us to. And he hasn't called us to anything that we cannot do. We can attain to that. Alright? In verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. Well, again, now that just tells us right again. We're talking maturity when we talk about perfection and completeness and wholeness here, so that we don't be no more children. We obviously start out as babes in Christ, proceed to being children, and then ultimately to sons and to fully grown men. We want to progress in that kind of a manner. And so he says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Well, there's one of the things that causes problems in the body of Christ. Those who remain as children and never move on to perfecting themselves and growing in the knowledge of Christ and reaching forth to that epinosis, to that full knowledge of Christ, will always be subject to false doctrine. Will always be subject to whatever wind is blowing in the church and comes their way, they're going to be susceptible and want to bite onto it and be carried along with it and think, boy, this, you know, the latest, greatest thing has just come along. And now we want to jump on the bandwagon because maybe this will do for me what I want done. Maybe this will accomplish for me rather than submitting to Scripture and taking in the Word of God and growing as a Christian is supposed to grow. They want to step outside the bounds of it and look for the most popular thing and hope that that will bring fulfillment and satisfaction. The Lord's direction here for us is, you know, it's just such a simple word. Doctrine. Teaching. So that we don't, you know, we don't come to every wind of doctrine, but on the contrary, sound doctrine. As he tells us, as he told Timothy, that we might adhere to sound doctrine, so that we're not carried along by every wind of doctrine, or as you heard the illustration, the waves tossed to and fro, back and forth, never settled, always coming. Preacher, have you heard this thing? Well, what about this? I heard this guy say this on the radio, and and you know, I guess God gives us everything to to test our patience, and that's one of them for me, uh, is, you know, all these things coming at me with, you know, this new thing. Did you hear this? Or what about that? And let's just, you know, if we just stick with the soundness of Scripture. And that's what Paul says when he talks about the faith. When he says in verse 8, wherefore he, or excuse me, in, um, I missed it. Um, 
uh, verse 5. One Lord, one faith. You know, there is a soundness and a unity to the doctrine of Christ and the teaching of Christ. And so we're not to be tossed about with all these other things. And there are others, you know, the point Paul's making here is that there are those lying in wait just waiting to take you in. And if you look at the ultimate fulfillment of that, turn to Second Peter or turn to the book of Jude and look at what the, the final outcome of those who give in to false teachers will be. And look at the strong, strong language Paul, uh, Paul, well, Peter uses and Jude uses to describe the outcome of those who teach false doctrine and those who try to uh, uh, lure in. And that's what they use, the images of, of, of a lure, to use deceit to, bring, to take people in and draw them away. Even Paul, back when Paul was on his missionary journeys and he was uh, leaving Ephesus for the final time, and he had drawn the uh, elders from Ephesus together, Matter of fact, we better go look at that since we're dealing in the book of Ephesians. I think that would do well. Go back to uh, Acts chapter 20. This, this is really a, a wonderful passage here. Uh, as Paul instructs the elders of the church, and we're talking about church leaders here, we're talking about those gifted people uh, here in Ephesians chapter 4, here he's meeting with the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And he says, look at verse 28, chapter 20, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Now he just, well, we probably ought to read verse 25 as well. He says, Behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take to you record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Well, there Paul's just telling them, I taught you sound doctrine. The very thing he's warning against in this letter here that we're looking at, the Ephesian letter, about being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And so he says in verse 27, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves... And to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves, now he says, shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Or, actually, it says there, to draw away, in the Greek, the disciples after them. And that's the whole point. That's the part of the suffering that you have to go through. Is that there will be those who will want to draw you away. Why? because you make them uncomfortable. As you are walking with Christ and walking in a devoted manner in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to make other Christians uncomfortable around you. In order for them to regain their comfort, 
they're going to want to bring you down to their level where they can feel good about themselves. They don't want to walk on that higher plane as, uh, uh, as Ruth Paxson said in her devotional book, life on the highest plane. Or as, an, as I read in a, in a little tract that another man wrote, and the title of the little tract was this, Others May, You Cannot. And his point being that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be fully devoted to Him, if you're going to call yourself a disciple, then others may do some things, but you cannot. And it's going to make those others feel very uncomfortable. And you're not going to be the joy to be around as it would if they, you were just a part of the crowd and following along with everybody else. And so Paul's warning here is that they're there waiting. They're there lurking, seeking to draw you away. They want to have disciples after themselves and not after Christ. And so Paul's whole point in this passage back in Ephesians chapter 4, then, the point of instruction, the point of gifted men, the point of the, the, point of the unity of the body and the oneness of the body is that we might do this. You've probably heard the proverbial proverbial expression used in other other, uh, venues, but in the church here, it's that, that we might all hang together. In other words, there needs to be a devotedness to one another in the body of Christ in order that we may hold each other up, that we all might remain strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one needs then to walk out those doors and walk as a defeated Christian. Walk as someone who just says, I just don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can stay loyal to Christ. I don't know if I will really inherit the kingdom or not. Because you can walk out of here week after week after week after week with full confidence in knowing where you are in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has promised to give you and what you will have from Him if you obey Him, if you simply do what He says. Well, in verse 15, He tells us there, Speak the truth in love and that you may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Christ is the head of the body. And so just as you have a head on your body that gives direction to your life, that tells it what to do, I'm shrugging my shoulders, waving my hand, speaking the words that I speak, all of this is being directed by my mind, by my head. And so the head, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the body, He gives us our instructions. He tells us what to do. He tells us in First uh, Timothy, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. It's a foundation. And so, in this body, of which Christ is the head, now he gives an explanation of how this whole thing works together. Because it's made up of individuals, a lot of different people here, a lot of different sizes and shapes and personalities and interests and things you'd like to do 
and places where you live and all kinds of people come here. And yet he says there's supposed to be certain kind of working within that body in order for that body to function as a whole. Well, he tells us there in verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. Well, I'm not going to read through the rest of that verse yet. I think I'm just going to have to work our way through it because it's, it's, it's loaded with a lot of interesting things. I'll tell you, the first several times I ever read that in my life, I just kept on reading. I said, I couldn't figure that thing out. That was a lot of strange words for me. And it took breaking it down piece by piece, part by part, to really come to an understanding of what Paul was talking about here. But this body, he says, which is fitly joined together. Just, just turn back, and, well, at least in my Bible, I turn back one page to Ephesians chapter 2. And look at verse 21. Verse 20. He says there, well, actually, you'd have to read it to know what Paul's talking about. You're going back to verse 15. In verse 15, he's talking about having abolished the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. Well, if you look at the verses previous to that, you see that he's talking about the circumcision, the Jew, and the uncircumcision, the Gentile. And he's talking about those two coming together in Christ as one new man. And so there are no longer two separate individuals. Outside of Christ, you still have Jew and Gentile. In Christ, you just have the one new man in Christ, whether he be Jew or Gentile. Well, then he says that he might reconcile both unto God, where? In one body. And he did so by means of the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, with that in mind, in verse 20, and regarding the body, he says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building... Now here the body is being referred to as a building. You saw he called it a body up in verse 16, but now he's making a spiritual application to give us in our minds what he's talking about here. In whom all the building fitly framed together. Well, that's the same word we have over here in chapter 4 in verse 16. Fitly joined together. Fitly framed together. You frame a building together. I think that's a good translation. Over here we're talking about a body. So you're talking about it being fitly joined together. And our bodies are joined together. We have ligaments and tendons and muscles that pull everything together and hold it in place. So Paul's analogy here and the translations here, I think, are very valid. And he's teaching us regarding how this is all connected together. And so then he says, this building, which is uh, fitly... Uh, excuse me, back over here in chapter 4 now. This uh, body, he says, which is fitly framed together and compacted. Well, that's the word in other places is translated knit together. It is compacted together. It is held together or bonded together 
or knit together according to how? How is it all knit together? How is this body of Christ, what we see visibly out here this morning, how is all of this knit together? Well, he says here, by the, or, or according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. The effectual working, the effectual work in the sense of something being done. It's where we get our word energy. So we're talking about strength or even the word power could be fit in here. Because when he says, when we're talking about work here, in other words, we're talking about something happening, something being accomplished. So it's the effectual working together, energy expended. According to this, he says, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Well, that's you and me. Every part in the body, working together. That means every member then of the body in order for the body to be functioning in wholeness, must be expending energy, must be working together. So if we're just one of those who come and sits in the pew and enjoys the preaching and walks out, you know, the door and, you know, I'll see you next Sunday, then you've missed the point. And you've missed the point of the ministry of the church and what the body of Christ is intended to accomplish. So every part is to be energized, doing work. And then he says it's in measure. What does that mean? Well, it just means we don't all do the same work. And we can't all do the same amount of work. We work according to the gift that God has given us. And we do it in the measure in which God has gifted us. One person might have the gift of teaching, another person has the gift of teaching but they not, may not have the same responsibility. They may not have the same measure of that gift. Or if it be the gift of faith. Another person might have a gift of faith as opposed to a different person with a different measure of the gift of faith. All of that to say is, is that we, none of us are the same, and yet we're all in unity in the body of Christ. We're still one. That's an amazing thing. Amazing thing to me. And so then he says, regarding those parts and regarding the measure of each part that we have, as you and I expend ourselves, do work, we're working effectually, he says, we make increase of the body or grow. The body grows. Now, that primarily means, I believe, into maturity, into wholeness, into completeness. Could it mean grow numerically? Well, I think that would be a part of it, too. I mean, after all, as a baby grows, he doesn't grow numerically with more babies necessarily, but there's more of them. He increases in size, and then he moves on to childhood and finally to adulthood and, and maturity, and so I think it can include the idea of numerical growth as well. But primarily, I think, in context here, he's talking about bringing those people who are members of the body of Christ to grow them to completeness, 
to grow them to fruition, to fullness, to that full knowledge of Christ. And that can only happen, that can only happen when every part of the body is working together. When every part of the body is working together according to the measure that God has given them, then we're going to see the body of Christ here grow to fruition, to fullness, to wholeness. And then he says, he, you know, that's a, and, and it's interesting here. Um, then, he, then he makes the application not only of growth of a physical body, but then he says, unto the edifying of itself in love. And that word edify then is to build up. And you know, and it could, that, that's an architectural term. We have a biological term concerning growing, and then he uses an architectural term regarding a building and says to edify. You know, it's just like, well, the, you know, when we look at a, uh, a new building that's being built, we might make a comment to be, well, that's quite a, uh, an elaborate edifice there. That's where we get the root of that word, edifice. It's something that's raised up. We use that word in the scriptures. Well, I'm saying we use it. God uses it to describe us building each other up or to building ourselves up in the most holy faith, to lift the other person up and help them along that way. And he's simply saying that just as you have an interconnectedness in the body with ligaments and joints and muscle and tissue, which brings unity to the body and holds it all together, likewise we have in the body of Christ. But it can't function haphazardly. It ha can't function you know, with only a part of the body there. It takes the whole body together to achieve fullness and wholeness. Unto the edifying of itself in love. And love is what holds it all together. It's what brings it all to full function. That's the thing that unifies it, is love. Love for one another. That's why I think this, uh, this, this um, I don't know what you're going to call it, form, sheet of paper that Brother Bob has been encouraging us to fill out will be a help to us. It'll be a help to everybody so that you know one another but you also know a little bit about the other person. And you know something? It probably would help you, and I have to do this. I may be here in a, in a different position than you are where I'm out here looking at everybody face on. But you have to trust me when I tell you this because it may not show forth my personality, but I have to make myself go and meet people. It's something I force myself to do. Because I'm very, very easily could just sit back in the corner over there somewhere and just let life go on and say hi and walk out the door and that'd be the end of it for me. Now you may not think so just because I do talk a lot and I do mingle a lot. But it's because I push myself. I stretch myself to do that. And you know, I just want to say that as a word of encouragement to you is to make yourself go meet other people. Make yourself go shake somebody's hand and say hi and find out what their name is and learn a little bit more about them. And if you have to do it over a meal, which I've done, then you do it over a meal. It's a lot more fun that way. 
or if you'd like to do it in some other fashion. I know some of you would like to be out in a boat fishing and you could do that. That's not me. I'm not a fisherman. My wife's dad was a fisherman and she likes to fish. If any ladies like to fish, my wife will go with you. She has a friend that they've gone, this other lady, they've gone fishing together. And this men, we stayed home. Right in front of the TV. Where we were supposed to be. Yeah. I'm simply saying that this word working together or this effectual working, when we say that we get the word energy from that, I'm simply saying we've got to get up and do it. We can't just listen to it and say, boy, wasn't that good. But we've, not, we've got to respond to that now. And we need to make up our mind, however little it may be, it may just be for you, one person that you get to know. But you see, that's that one person that you didn't know before. And whatever measure that is that God has given you to do, then if you fulfill it, you've brought pleasure to Christ and you've brought fulfillment to the body of Christ. You've brought wholeness to the body of Christ. And that's what it means in a practical outworking of this doctrine that Paul taught regarding the church and the body with Christ being the head, this is what it means to practically work that out as a Christian and as a witness at the corner of Scruggs Road and Ringgold Road in the little town of Eastridge in the state of Tennessee in the country of America in this great big wide world to be a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us such a calling and how awesome it sounds to us, and even, in many ways, overwhelming. So much so that we can, oh boy, just sometimes want to throw our hands up in despair and wonder, how could we ever do this? I just thank you for the words of encouragement that you've given us that every person plays a part. We all have a responsibility, big or small, whatever it might be, that we can do it, and we can do it in the name of Christ. And I pray that you would give us the grace to step out in faith and to trust you, to do those things that are hanging over us, things we know we should do or things we've thought about doing and have just never gotten around to doing it that would bring wholeness to the body of Christ, that would allow us to be the kind of witness to this community that we can be and ought to be. I pray that you'll stir our hearts this morning to be filled with that kind of energy that Paul talked about there in, in uh, Ephesians 4.16, that it would be an energy that would be applied to the body of Christ in an effectual way and that we would thereby manifest the love of Christ to those about us. In whose name we pray, amen. 202. I was to make sure he shut it off because I said when it comes time to sin, you make sure that's all. <laughs>
thank you once again, Brother Bob. Um, I just paying really good attention when you read that list, Walt. But I don't know. Did you mention Carol Cunningham by any chance? I know they're not here, but she called me earlier this week and just just wanted to pray. She says I'm just in so much pain right now. I just want to pray and asked me if I'd pray with her over the phone, so we did. Um, I just thought about that standing there. I didn't remember hearing her name, and I'd like for you to remember her as well. But as we dismiss here, let's just have a word of prayer and pray for her and ask that God would give her strength and grace to deal with this uh, combination of arthritis, fibromyalgia, and some back issues that may require surgery in the future. All right, let's do that. Father, we want to hold up to you uh, a sister in Christ, Carol Cunningham, and just ask, Father, that you would provide for her today and grace and strength to deal with uh, the infirmities of her body and, and the problems that she's encountered uh, health-wise. I pray that you would um, grant her a, a doctor or someone who could give her some counsel and advice on things she could do to help alleviate the pain and make... Uh, life more bearable as far as just being able to get her out and do daily things and, and carry on life in a, in a functional way. So we just pray that you'll bless her today and accomplish all that you have for her in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dismiss us, Father, I pray with your blessings that we might go forth uh, in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>